connect to them. Dry bones, connect to them. Hey, welcome back to the Boney Island Whitefish. This is episode 10. Shockingly, we will be talking about episode 10 of season 5 of Bones. I am Andrew. Here's Riley. He can never wait. He can never wait to hear hear the words, here's Riley. (laughs) I never have, and I won't start today. Yep. As listeners of both Punta Vista and Trash Future will know, Riley's from Trash Future, but we also have another guest from Trash Future. It's Alice. Hi, Alice. Hello. Uh, Waiting patiently for my introduction there. Yes. That's how it's done by a professional. Right. We do one take only. <laughs> yes, like like Bones. Mm. Yes, like the the script writers for the television show Bones. <laughs> uh, you basically just tap out a draft and then you say, you know what, that's it. Yeah, I, I'm so excited to be here and to talk about Bones. Uh, it's you know, it, it's a very bad show. <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> Yeah, had you, had you ever show. seen any bones before? I had, I had not. No, I, I, I like I, I did my like police procedurals phase with like CSI, I guess, uh, oh, which yeah. kind of dates me. Um, and then like by the time Bones came out, I was like, no, this this format is stupid, and I, it's nice to be uh, proven correct once again. Well, yeah, I think, it's, uh, sorry, it's a ahead. very stupid format, definitely. I think what we've done is we have given you. The episode of Bones, where the crime is the least imp- <laughs> least yes. important. Yes, like, I, I mean I've been listening. I've been listening to to you uh, do episodes of this. Big fan, by the way. Long time listener, first time caller. Um, <laughs> and uh, Riley, you offered me a choice of which which episode I wanted to guest on based on the titles of the Bones episode. Um, and I, I I I picked the one that I thought was funniest, not knowing that this one would be uh, the episode of Bones that is the least an episode of Bones an episode of Bones can be. Well, it's the yeah, least an episode of anything. Yes. <laughs> this is yeah, it's, it's like packing air. You know, the like uh, like inflated <laughs> plastic bags they use to fill boxes. I mean, I'm, I'm going to hit the big um, Riley, Riley and Alice or Riley or Alice brings up Marinetti button. Um, <laughs> it is like a futurist a futurist waiter just sprays you with perfume and you just like inhale it yeah it's like it's like bones as presented to you by Alinea you like inhale this and you like look at this foam and it like it brings you all of the individual elements of ah oh, I am watching the TV show bones mm-hmm. um, but without any of the like gestalt without any of the whole of bones yeah, there is no, there's nothing solid about this episode. It's purely, it's like trying to claw at smoke. It's just, it's just, it's sort of Christmas and there's a robbery. And I will be honest with you, I'll do a little, little peer into the future. Why I sort of immediately thought of Marinetti is that um, I, at the end of this episode, I had to look up and say, wait, D- did they solve the crime? <laughs> yes, I had to go back. I had to go back and say, "Wait, when did the solving of the crime happen?" I had to review the Happens. transcript of Bones, yeah. which yeah. gives me, of course, the Bones count for the episode. Oh yeah, what's the Bones count? Uh, a pretty middling sixteen. Sixteen mm. utterances mm. of the word Bones. Unremarkable in so many ways. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not up there in the mid twenties. Not yeah. up there in the mid twenties. It's not down there with the uh, the rock bottom five that we had last week. But um, you know, it's, it's comfortably in there. And I wonder if the irony that this is like 
just the emptiest episode that we've seen of all of them so far is that this is the one that is by far trying the hardest to actually do some character development. It's trying mm. to do like a, a bit of, hey, we're, we're humans, remember? Leading to the funniest line of the episode that I've, I've written down and underlined repeatedly, which we will come to. Okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> now, like you said, season five, episode 10, titled The Goop on the Girl... Which I agree, Alice, is irresistible. Yeah, the, the um, goop on your grunch. Yeah, and it is a Christmas episode. So, yeah, really. I, I've titled my notes, it's a very Merry Bones-mas, Dr. Bones. <laughs> oh, man. It is. It's Christmas. And, of course, we're all desperate to know what kind of um, ridiculous things Bones herself is going to say about Christmas. But, luckily, we have just a whole cast of characters here who are also going to say idiotically shallow things about the concept of Christmas throughout the episode. So oh, that's very uh, good. Before we get cracking, though, I want to give the uh, breakfast update. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so do you, you don't have the Bunta Vista boat watch stinger to hand, do you? Uh, of course I do. One, Thank one you. second. Breakfast update. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, all of the nice mugs are in the dishwasher, so I'm, <laughs> I'm drinking my coffee out of one of these uh, Penguin Books mugs that I think my girlfriend got as a present from a, a friend or a relation. Also, I don't have any of the good bagels, so I just had some hummus on store-bought sourdough. This is probably... Can we, can we backtrack? Can we backtrack? Yes, yes. What's the book on the mug? Uh, great expectations. It's the kind of mug you would get given okay. as a gift uh, as a late teen or early 20s mm -hmm. person by mm -hmm. an yeah. aunt or uncle who wanted to flatter your intelligence but didn't really know you. That's a third string mug. Like, it's it's not the good mug. It's not even the average mug. It's the forgotten dusty mug. I, I've got two. Well, I've got I have like three tiers of mug that I will drink out of. Mm -hmm. The first yeah, your, tier, your S rank mugs. The, 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 fir <laughs> the first tier of mug is the Le Creuset mugs. Mm. Um, the because second you are a fancy boy. Yes. The second tier of mugs is uh, the anthropology one with R on it. Um, and that also includes, as a special tier, uh, my one liter mug uh, that I, I was given as a present. It's like a really nice version of the Sports Direct mug. Um, and then below that are, uh, yeah, these mugs. And then below, below that are the mugs, like the sort of very nice uh, china and blue mugs that uh, my girlfriend's school gave her uh, and you, her you're, parents. You're, you're out of touch with traditional working class values of this country, which are to only drink out of a cracked uh, Cadbury cream egg mug that you got with mm. an Easter egg uh, five years ago, and you still have for some reason. Yeah. The inside of that mug is so stained with tea. Yes, yes, mm. fully. It it, it has a, like a rich and complex patina that I find lends to the flavor uh, of any caffeinated drink. Indeed. It's a very common type of mug in uh, at the desks of the public service in Australia. The one mm. where like it's it's um, very, very kind of frog in a pot situation where the person who's using it every day um, has not noticed it changing over time. But somebody who has walked up to your desk for the first first time immediately looks at the mug and goes, "You should clean that fucking mug." Mm. As 
It was disgusting. That's actually how that lady who got fired over for tweeting from the Australian Public Service. It was because of a mug. Hmm. Um, that. I think it was also because she printed out her own uh, a picture of her own Twitter avatar and put it up on her desk. <laughs> I'm glad to and- see Amy Cerise is keeping busy. <laughs> she, this lady was was using her Twitter account to harass her own boss, who was a very high-ranking public service official. After that rules. Um, and then she printed out her own avatar and stuck it on her desk so that he came out of his office and was like... A campaign hey. of psychological <laughs> terror against this man. I, I appreciate that a great deal. Doing full-spectrum posting warfare. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that turned into like a major high court <laughs> court case. Yeah, and and one of the exhibits was. Have you seen the state of this lady's fucking mug? <laughs> yeah. So a, a big part of the Boney Island whitefish is just uh, things I remember about Australia just sort of occurring to me, and then yeah. me bringing them up years after they've happened. Yeah, court case dismissed after they find that someone whose uh, mug is that dirty is not fit to stand trial. <laughs> So, uh, oh, we've had the dead. breakfast update. I, I yeah. will say I had a very, very harrowing 18 hours um, when my coffee machine broke. Uh, and there I was, Kofifi-less. Uh, Terrifying. No, no coffee to be had. Um, we only had some uh, Aldi instant coffee that my wife had bought in a fit of insanity when she thought about trying the, the whipped coffee craze thing. What, sorry? The uh, the the people people making like this weird instant whipped coffee deal. Mm. I think I'm, I think that one went went past me. Um, no, and probably for the best. The U- I don't think that came to the UK. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, it was. It was just on the internet. It didn't specifically come here, but uh, it, basically, I, I, it was I like, feel like I feel like Owen Smith here. Like, a, a, what kind of a, a frothy coffee situation <laughs> are we are we dealing with here? You take instant coffee. And a mm-hmm. small amount of water, and like whip it with a whisk, or ideally, you know, a stand mixer or something like that. Oh, um, I and see, after I'm long seeing, enough, I'm googling images of this. It looks like pudding. It's horrifying. Uh, yeah, and then you and then you like put that on top of milk, and maybe you stir it up or something. It looks a, like shit to me. A decadent at home treat, allegedly. Mm. I'm calling the Western traditionalist architecture account. We need someone to take this trend down it, it, from it several months like, ago or whatever. It looks like the poop emoji on top of a glass of milk. It does. And it's still going to taste like instant coffee, which tastes yeah. like shit to me. I mean, personally. like, it's it's fine, I guess, if you want to use instant coffee for, like, to make a tiramisu or, uh, you know, any, any number of things. But, like, uh, this? Uh, no. No, thank you. Uh, not a fan. So um, all of this okay, was though. more. All of this was, is so far. There's been more story and character development in Breakfast <laughs> Update oh, and I'm Coffee History. Far than more invested in uh, it. It's also called Dalgona Coffee. Apparently, I'm more yes. invested in that than than Bones, hmm. which is a problem on a podcast ostensibly about season five <laughs> of the show Bones. Well, we'll find a way to work it out, and we'll start. That process by, I guess, talking about episode 10, The Goop on the Girl. Uh, we open at a bank. It's Christmas. You can tell by the songs. Uh, it's, Santa's it's here. It's so Christmas. It's and very little 
very little felt as on point as for how this episode would make me feel as consuming all of this Christmas themed content in July. Uh, well, that, that comes <laughs> up. Um, it's um, it's very like I've 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 been in America at Christmas time once, and it's pretty it's pretty wild how much mm. more Christmas is going on than there is like in Australia at the same sort of time. It is every single store that you go into is playing like jingle bells at a reasonable volume. <laughs> There's decorations <laughs> absolutely everywhere. So that that whole bit at the start of the episode of all the establishing shots of the outside of dreary locations in Washington covered in wreaths and tinsel and such uh, while it plays jingle bells at a reasonable volume um, seemed quite quite apt to me. Um, and of course you have your Santas and there's a Santa here at the bank. And unfortunately, mm. he's robbing it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, you're not meant to do that, Santa. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, time, times, are, times are tough. The elves have unionized. So mm. uh, Santa was left with only one option uh, after, a, after Marxist courts ruled that he could not bust the elf union. <laughs> he slides the teller a note saying, you know, give me all your money. And the teller... I'm, I was very struck by this. Uh, pretends she has never, like, does not know what a bank robbery is. And so she's just like, oh, Santa, what could be in this note? Uh, uh? What's this note all about? And he then, and it, like, having, having bothered to write the note, he then immediately starts screaming. <laughs> starts screaming that he wants the money. Now, here we immediately depart from what is established Bones formula. Um, what generally happens is something is happening at the start of the episode, somebody dies so, or somebody finds a body and then, you know, they call in the bone squad. Yeah. Uh, in this case, we leave the scene before anything has even happened. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we're off to, to Bones's house. Yeah. The real scene of the crime, the uh, yes. crime of being uh, emotionally uh, unusual. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> She's uh, setting up a Christmas tree with her dad, who we have never seen before in episode in season five, and yeah. we won't be watching any of the other seasons. So maybe he has been there before. Her dad is played by Ryan O'Neill for some reason. Hmm. She shares a dad with Frasier, like perhaps not literally, but spiritually, they are the same character. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, there's no little dog. But we have Ryan O'Neill here slumming it after being in, you know, Paper Moon and The Driver and uh, lots of cool stuff. Not this, though. Not this. No, no, are you you get to wear a nice, is... comfy, like, fleece on screen, though, so this is good. Also, good what are you him. talking about? This is, like, the most avant-garde thing he's been in. It's pure <laughs> outsider art. <laughs> so, um, he's, he's begging her to, to spend Christmas with him. And she's like, no, I'm going to do volunteer work in El Salvador. Um, Doing what? All... Condescending to Salvadoran? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just well, like... I believe in the very first episode of Bones, she is returning from having just done some type of volunteer work in, in like El Salvador or some such place. Just, just like striding over the ruins of El Mozote being like, yep, that's Bones. Yeah, well, or also wandering through like, the slums, asking if there's any murders that need solving. E even any the most anthropology generous, required. Sorry, even the most generous interpretation of what she could be doing elides the fact that she's a fucking multi-zillionaire. <laughs> like, that yeah, that's true. The fact that everybody who works in 
um, and the Jeffersonian, I think a majority of the permanent staff would be considered high net worth individuals by banks. <laughs> like, it's wonderful. Like, it's especially it's uh, it's the only one who isn't. I think is Booth. <laughs> All the others are like incredibly rich and just basically solve crimes because they have a passion for bones. Yeah, mm-hmm. but Booth's meant to be working class because he likes sports. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's about it. Oh man, there is some interesting interesting ideas about uh, about oh. politics in this one. But oh, we'll get to this those. was yeah, oh, this yes. was by far the most political episode, which is weird because there's nothing else there. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I like the, also the idea that like the, it's set up at the beginning that um, Christmas is about being with your family and stuff and being with the ones you love. And, um, like, it's, it is, it's, it's almost a strange time capsule, right? Like, because I don't think there is a show now that would say Christmas is about being with the ones you love that wouldn't then do, like, a sad BoJack Horseman thing. Mm. Where, you know, either you do Christmas with your friends, but then you go into the bathroom and, like, take a bunch of Dexedrin or whatever, and then you realize <laughs> that you're truly alone, even when you are with the people who claim to love you. Or that you would end up choosing to be alone and just engage in self-destruct. I feel like the BoJack Horsemanification of mass entertainment has happened because of a pure reaction to the, like, seeming shallowness of um, the Christmas is about being with the ones you love style Mm. of entertainment from the 2010s. But it's equally shallow. mm. All of this episode feels like uh, the precipice. It's it's the peak of the roller coaster where like mm. y- you get some hints that after this is the deluge, right? And all media is going to be about how uh, things are terrible. But for now, for the moment, it's it's bonesmas. <laughs> uh, let's let's all join hands around the big tree of bones and um, and celebrate the things that make. Make a family, which is solving crimes, and we'll sing Jingle Bones. <laughs> the uh, yeah, the things that make a family is coming together to to just kind of casually throw somebody in prison for the rest of their lives based off some very sketchy evidence. Yeah. Um, so you know, Bones is trying to understand uh, complicated concepts like why do people hate to spend Christmas alone. Uh, and her dad helpfully explains that that means that nobody loves you. Here's the thing. Yeah. I've spent lots of Christmases alone because of my situation as, a, as like, someone and who moved to a different nerd. country. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> I I, I've spent lots of Christmases alone because I moved to a different country. People still love me. <laughs> he said insistently. <laughs> I mean, I, I, the, the line that I wrote down from this is when uh, she, she, Bones is like doing the robotic, but I, I, I'm going to El Salvador thing. Um, her dad is trying to convince her to like spend time with family, and she says, "Dad, some reformed criminal pal of yours I won't make a too. real Christmas." What did he do? What? 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 Do not invite reformed criminals into your house in Christmas. That is against everything that the Christmas spirit goes towards. Only um, unreformed criminals. <laughs> yes. It's Only almost certainly currently... going to wind up in a Home Alone type situation. Mm. Uh, they're probably casing the place. So, um... We, again, we're, we're absolutely fucking up the formula of what happens before the opening credits sequence here as we cut to Booth's car, where he, he is... N- now, this this hugely perplexed me. 
right? Uh, he hears from the radio inside his car, code 39, code 39, bank robbery in progress. Uh, suspect dressed as Santa, urgent help needed. And he says, yes, agent booth 22705. I'm two blocks from Capital Mutual Bank. ETA within a minute. Leading me to believe that they, they think that like, the FBI are just also like regular police, just kind of driving around looking for something to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly He's just it. a cool guy. He's just hanging out. Yeah, I was like, do, do the FBI respond to stuff like this? Um, I think bank robbery may be uh, like an FBI thing for investigation, but like just for him getting like heroes or something. Uh, get, yeah. Just like getting a gigantic tortilla, and then he has to like <laughs> comically throw it over the hood of his car because there's crimes happening. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not sure that that's realistic. No. Also, he's like the only cop there. Yeah, yeah. They no, there the are no other like. <laughs> we have successfully abolished the police except for John Wilkes Booth. I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's the no. It's that he was made to do penance for. Um, Oh, sorry, it's that because he killed Lincoln, uh, Black Lives Matter abolished the police except for him, and now he has to do penance by being the only police officer. Yeah. Uh, this is the myth of Sisyphus, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. We must imagine Sisyphus wearing a cocky belt buckle. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, the reason he's wearing that buckle is that he no longer um, has brain damage, so he's back to his buckles. I noticed that. That me, that's character development. Because at well, the, the first episode, they were he was like, "Oh, I have too much coma brain to wear my belt buckle," and now in this episode, he's wearing his belt buckle. You know, it's like a little nod to big fans of Bones. Well, luckily, uh, he arrives at the bank. Luckily, in episode seven, he got recertified to shoot Santa. <laughs> um, so he's this ready to go. Beautiful piece of Toyota product placement, by the way. When he when he like zooms into shot in his Toyota SUV with the the lights on, uh, and it just like there's a lingering camera pan around the whole front of the truck. And oh, it's yeah. like awesome, dude. It's it's not as good as the scene in one of the episodes where they they let the car do the hands free parking and then they all talk about it. Um, <laughs> but but it's pretty good. He shows up. He's ready to shoot Santa. He's been recertified, ignoring the fact that he shot a guy in episode two while still having severe coma brain. Mm. Um, oh, and Santa has a bomb is something that oh, we missed. Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. Sa- yeah. A bomb <laughs> so Thank <fest>. you, Alice. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's it's difficult to, to, to remember because in this show, a suicide vest is when you have a bunch of, like, socks covered in duct tape attached to the front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it looks like the least bomb vest thing you could imagine, but he like he pulls open the Santa suit and he's he's got a fucking bomb vest on. That's right. Now, Santa comes out and says, "Hey, hey, get out of here!" Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but, hey. <laughs> just, hey, shoot. Uh, then there is some some crackling from his vest. He accidentally blows himself up and absolutely goops all over some lady in the street. Um, it, as yeah. a result of very bad visual effects. Yeah. The, the horrifying. Ulti- the, the ultimate, uh, I think it was just toxic masculinity. He couldn't resist <laughs> gooping everybody. <laughs> yeah, two, two, two big, like, uh, after effects sparks fly out of his vest, and then he disappears into, like, a three and a half pixel explosion, which, in my favorite detail, someone has added, there has clearly just been a prop guy who has just, like, thrown a Santa hat across the, the like, frame, because 
the Santa hat like gets ejected to one side while the rest of him vaporizes. It's very yeah. cool. Awesome. The hat is safe, safely thrown clear. Yeah, and, and there was a, there was a booth involved Santa slaying. The rest of uh, the rest of him is so disintegrated that they will literally be digging the shrapnel of his his bones out of the bodies of surrounding bystanders. But the hat, that's fine. Yeah, hat's fine. Uh, by the so, way, um, that is played yeah. for laughs. Yeah, yeah the whole a, thing there's is an like... eyeball. There's an eyeball in the explosion. That's right. God, it was so cool. I was, you know what it put me in mind of? I have written down in my notes here and bolded. You know the uh, Pacific Rim ripoff Atlantic Rim? Yes. <laughs> this was basically Atlantic Rim level visual effects. <laughs> but like, oh, that, but combined with the like, I, I, as you, you have addressed many times on the show, this the, uh, the show of Bones' insane, like, vacillating tone means that, like, you get a guy blowing himself up but like it's kind of like done with like reverse shots and like slap bass and it's like gosh wasn't that weird yeah yeah anyway um, time to go back to sexually harassing one another yeah well the thing that is also kind of played for laughs immediately after this is that the uh the lady who was standing nearby she has been entirely gooped and they then say (laughs) she's she's covered like her face her hair is full of like blood and skin and bone fragments and they're like we gotta bag her and get her to the lab uh uh i'm sorry have you ever been evidence before <laughs> it's, the little, it's the little pizzicato that shows it's supposed to be funny <laughs> she's just like there's this person who would absolutely have ptsd yeah. from getting covered in yeah. viscera you, you have another great moment in uh bones affability where she shows up to like talk to this lady who's covered in in goop and she's like, no, I'm not okay. I'm covered in... And Bones cuts her off. And it's like, human remains, I know. It's like, cool, Bones. Great. Awesome. Oh, um, by the way, the, the before Santa blows up, he says, I just answered the call, uh, which is what I would say in that situation. Hmm. Um, you yeah. know, some kind of, some kind of uh, veiled clue that would only yes. make sense once more information comes to light. Oh, and also we find the goop, the titular goop. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's Hodgins finds this. Uh, he describes it as, and I wrote this down because I was struck by it, oily pudding residue, uh, mm. which a technical term, I suppose. Precious um, goop, and it looks like a big puddle of cum. Uh, it does. It, I'm it. afraid it simply does. It's a big pile of like viscous white tinted liquid. It looks like cum, and this is the only. The only time that the goop appears in the episode. The goop will not be important later on, despite being in the title. Well, what it means is that, that Santa uh, achieved... It's like, you, you've heard of autoerotic asphyxiation. Let me tell you about autoerotic suicide bombing. You will come a leader. <laughs> um, also, Booth turns around and he's got a few dots of Santa on his back. And now he's evidence too. He couldn't just take off his jacket. Um, also, they had to take his entire person to the lab. Here's another question. How come uh, Bones was investigating this crime? Uh, I thought we had... She just feels like it. I thought we had some... some um, a little bit of a hint last episode into why the Bone Squad gets called out to certain crimes, and that has been demolished in this <laughs> yeah, episode. I think, mm. I think she can just kind of, like, pick and choose, right? She can, like, go up to any crime scene she likes and be like, yep, that guy has bones in him. 
Mm-hmm. No, she's uh, she's like an adjunct uh, forensic anthropologist. She can just kind of do <laughs> like whatever. She has tenure. Yeah. Now they take them all back to the lab, and they get the, the crystal method yet. No, no, the crystal method is they set up the crystal method with but Booth, now your evidence and then crystal method. So in the classic Bones formulation oh sorry, uh Andrew, could we please have a little bit of a crystal method? Uh we can always have a, a touch of that. Oh. It just takes you straight to 2009, doesn't it? I, oh, I love so when, good. I love when they're like, oh, is this going to be like a tinkly theme song? No. Heart, loud rock music. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's really funny that in the classic formulation of Bones, they'd look at Booth and be like, you're evidence now. And then the audience would be like, was Booth evidence the whole time? And then after the Crystal Method plays, they'd be like, well, obviously Booth wasn't evidence. <laughs> now, when they are back in the lab... And they're, they're, they're peeling some of the gross stuff off of Booth. Um, he says, like you said, Riley, that the bomber said something about needing to answer the call. And as soon as I heard this, I said to myself, ah, much like the previous episode where somebody had seen um, King of Kong and just decided to put the plot from that into the episode. Um, I said, I believe that they have taken the entire story of the death of Brian Wells Yes, Netflix is evil genius. If you prefer, I yeah. it, the second the second he would, he said answered the call, I was like, oh yeah, okay, that's what we're doing. Well, this is ripped from the headlines. Yeah. So, Riley, are you familiar with this this tale? Um, I I I think I know what you're about to say. He, Brian Wells was this uh, pizza delivery guy. Yeah. Who uh, robbed a bank armed with like a disguised shotgun, which is too cool for Santa to have, um, and like a bomb collar that had been fixed on him, um, and which was then detonated remotely when he got caught by the police on live television, no less. On live television, it was it was mm-hmm. it was deeply messed up. Um, and unlike unlike Santa, there is some question as to whether or not Brian Wells actually like knew to some extent. Like maybe he thought the bomb was fake. Maybe it was something that they had agreed beforehand, and he got like uh, double crossed. We don't actually know that. But like Santa in this case is remains wholly uh, pure and innocent. Mm, of course. Uh, well, I think he remains wholly pure and innocent because the writers just forget. They, they sort of ripped it from the headlines, hmm. but sort of they stopped after having read the headline. Yes. Like, they yeah. didn't rip any more details out of it. They were just like, hmm, this, this, we're going to do this, but then we're not going to develop why, we're not going to explore the relationship between these people. Instead, we're going to have like a sort of loose Christmas story, and then this is basically just the crime we need to do a nod to mm. to make it an episode of Bones. Oh, and we get some sexual tension once again in um, a, a way that I don't like. I mean, I don't like almost any kind of sexual tension, but I especially don't like it when Bones is like, she's stripping Booth naked to like obtain evidence from his clothes. Um, it's like, oh, you're undoing my cocky belt buckle. And it, he's like, it, yeah. yes, there's some, there's some Santa goop on here. Yeah, I, I have to extract this goop from your belt buckle, um, which I'm going to do, like, kneeling in front of you for normal reasons. Uh, 
I hope no one like walks in on us and thinks that this is perhaps a more a more compromising situation and it's played for laughs. Well, we are, of course, in the Jeffersonian Medico Institute for Sexual Harassment, so it makes sense that they would absolutely go into overdrive if there was some evidence on somebody's clothes and you had to get them clothes off. Um, and for some reason, they sit Booth in his boxer shorts and socks on uh, a gurney and then wheel him out in front of everybody, uh, causing Angela to immediately become powerfully horny. That's <laughs> yeah. her default state. Yeah. Just the Jefferson, the Jeffersonian uh, Medical Legal Institute for hazing at this point. Yes. <laughs> like what Booth Booth has this line: "Go ahead and make fun of the naked guy," uh, which again is a, a, a classic thing of saying something like it's a known phrase when it just isn't. Like just being like, "Oh yeah, make fun of the naked guy." It's a thing that we all do constantly when yeah, they're being wheeled through our offices. If I ever see a naked person, I will make fun of him. Yeah. He's, he's also not naked. He's wearing boxer shorts. Yeah. It's the only thing preventing me from standing up at the TV and hurling abuse at him was that he was wearing boxer shorts. I almost did. <laughs> yeah. So we are, at this point, we are however far into the episode we are. And Four somebody minutes. has thought... <laughs> Somebody has thought to themselves, oh, yeah, there's meant to be a crime in here. Uh, because, obviously, if Santa is attempting to rob a bank with a suicide vest and has died, then that's that kind of dealt with. Um, instead, we need Hodgins to wander over and say, I'm cataloging bomb components so we can run it through Exus, the explosive incident system. Bomb makers' signatures are as unique as handwriting. Are they? You mean mostly sure. a pseudoscience? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very much. Uh, we found this computer chip that sets frequencies on a two-way radio, which means this bomb was command-initiated, triggered via electronic signal from a two-way, um, which means it has to be someone else involved. Thank goodness the episode can keep going. <laughs> yeah, a classic someone else involved Santa explosion. You see it in the paper all the time. Uh, so they find themselves a, an old-timey radio and tune it to the same frequency that the bomb detonator was tuned to when we hear sinister words and they say, no more, bring down the tools of capitalist greed. <laughs> Booth, the way I wrote this up was that Booth uses like a 1950s oscilloscope yes. to dial into Red Guards <laughs> Austin's Discord server. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, so wait, wait so the, the criminal was... Brace Belden? <laughs> yeah, he's just, he tunes in to True or Not. <laughs> we are not one voice, we're thousands of voices. Oh, it's anonymous now. Democracy has been corrupted by the greed of big business. I've never heard anything more terrifying in my life, personally. Yeah. Bone, Bones agrees with this, by the way. Yeah. Uh, well, she well, in a nice <laughs> nod to the, uh, to the Washington setting, Bones says, if he's referring to lobbyists, then he's actually correct. <laughs> and Booth is outraged, he which is, the is funniest. He's like, I thought this was America. He says, <laughs> "Oh my goodness!" Bo Booth really does get some like uh, just a politics out of nowhere in this episode. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I, I I believe that Booth's politics in this uh, episode can be summed up as America. Um, I'm very it's, it's, about, yeah. so go ahead, it's go very ahead. funny and very jarring to have the actual probable politics of an FBI agent uh, jammed into this kind of like uh, quirky police procedural, you know? 
Yeah, well, it's uh, what I find very interesting, right? Also, is like that Booth. That Booth is supposed to be the everyman, and the everyman doesn't want to hear a word against lobbyists because basically, <laughs> Booth is like he seems to have the exact politics of an issue of Spiked. Um, which you know what? That's yeah, Alice, as you say, that's basically about right for your average FBI agent. I mean, he'd probably be more openly white nationalist now, but that's <laughs> pretty much the same thing. So, um, at this point, now we've, we've got our A plot, Santa blowing himself up and we need to spin that out to 40 minutes. Um, we have our B plot, which is what is Bones going to do for Christmas? But it <laughs> must be time to introduce a C plot. Uh, yeah. uh, and that is, uh, Lance Sweets and his girlfriend Daisy, who we met in the mummy episode when mm-hmm. he was, uh, treating her like he was training a small dog. And they don't know what to do on Christmas. What a scintillating plot. Um, now, thankfully, everybody's got a fucking stupid view on Christmas in this episode. Daisy says, I see no point in celebrating Jesus's birth in December when he was actually born in March. It would be like celebrating the 4th of July in April. Ridiculous. Awesome, it's Daisy. Yeah, again, just uh, we, we basically are like, well... Intelligence is when you're a precocious 13-year-old who's just learned a new fact and won't shut the fuck up about it. Oh, there's Will, more of that. Oh, shut yeah, there's so up. much of this here. They have bas- There are three characters who are written as precocious 13-year-olds in this episode, and I nearly put my fucking fist through my television. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at this point, Bones and Booth have got themselves a uh, some kind of radio signal tracking deal, and they're driving around looking for this radio signal. Um, they seem to have nailed down a house when Booth gets out and decides that the helpful thing to do will be to make a temporary grappling hook to rip down the antenna. Yeah, While he's but doing Bones, this- Bones says, you can't do that. And, and he's like, he just kind of mumbles some sovereign citizen stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Actually, un- under title 69420 of the United States Code, with malicious interference of like wire trafficking. And it's like, he's doing... Uh, the Eddie Murphy bit from Beverly Hills Cop. He is he is from the Federal Department of Bureau Investigation. <laughs> he is also doing uh, what a lot of cops would probably do, and that's it when challenged about why are you actually interfering with this person <laughs> yeah, just, and their private just property. Bluster through it with some like uh, statute that you made up off the top of your head. Yeah, just, yes, the, the whole the town charter like... signed in 1780 says. Yeah, the whole thing also being like, well. I know you're up to something, and you said, hear my call on the radio, and that other guy said, I answered the call, so I'm going to basically do some police brutality to you that's going to be intercut with, uh, who's that Zoe Deschanel meeting Emily Deschanel? Uh, check, please. I I would just note, we have pointed out multiple times on this show that looking at it in the context of now, there's been more than a few situations on this show where there is a young black guy... And somebody's, like, usually Booth's first reaction is to, like, put a gun directly into their face. Mm. In this case, while, Bo- while Booth is knocking down the antenna, he gives his gun to Bones, who immediately starts She's wildly not- brandishing it around the yard. Yeah, she's a scientist, man. Why? What? Is she, is she certified at the FBI marksmanship range? What if what if Bones fucking kills somebody? Is that a Bones-involved shooting that you have it to like, is. be liable for? 
So, so they knock out the radio signal. This guy immediately comes out of his house and is straight away manhandled to the ground by Booth, um, who is basically giving him no context for what is happening while Bones points a gun directly at him. Hmm. Very cool. Hmm. Um, and then they take him away for an interview during which uh, Booth just keeps telling this guy that it's his fault that, uh, yeah. that somebody he, he got killed. He does the thing, though, where he says... And I wrote this down because it amused me. I know my rights better than any lawyer who's a pawn of the system. Yes. And so he like he waves his right to counsel or to to talk to Booth and get owned by logic from like Turning Point DC. It's beautiful. That's right. And then, as you said, um, Riley, yes, we this, we this go to the diner. Really jarred me. Sorry. Oh, so I just said this scene really jarred me. Please carry. Oh on. yes, yes. Um, so we then travel to the diner. Where one of the only two places to eat in Washington, D.C. And Bones is being introduced by her father to her cousin, who is being played by her sister. Um, now, the dad does the first of about 60 jokes where uh, characters say, you two look like you could be sisters. Uh, it's not that funny the first time. It does not get funnier as the episode goes. And... Apparently, the one character trait that they have given to Zooey Deschanel here is that she won't stop quoting Benjamin Franklin. Not a good <laughs> bit. I, I, I love this so much because of the implication that, like, the entire, like, female half of the Bones family is comprised of, like, alternate timeline pedants. <laughs> yes. Just like there's there's a multiverse of of Boneses who are all acting like precocious thirteen year olds, just on a different topic for each one. Yeah, uh, they all they all have some fundamental inability to communicate with other humans, but they're all yes. they're all a nice multiverse variety. Yeah. Um, so you know this scene played for great comedy. It's not really working for me. Uh, so we then. Go back to the lab where Daisy is now telling Angela that Jesus was born in March. Uh, it seems a lot <laughs> she like she's going shut to shut up about it. Won't shut up about Jesus <laughs> being born in March. The C again. This the C plot is a precocious thirteen year old who's got her hands on a fact and won't shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, at this point, I'm like, what? What are we trying to solve here? Uh, a guy did an armed robbery. Seemingly blew himself up. Um. You know, they, they think that, like, the bomb was, was triggered remotely, but they haven't even sort of expressed at any point that they think Santa was murdered. They're just, no, kind, they're of just like, kind of like, mm. just poking around. You know, <laughs> yeah. they're just, just, just putting this Santa back together for no <laughs> real clearly articulated reason. Oh, yeah, that's true. They're spending an enormous amount of, again, like, resource. It, were there no other murders? Do murders only happen? They're, like, they're when... picking bits of bones out of uh, bystanders. Yeah, but, uh, like, this heavily implies that, like, the amount of, of time they've been painstakingly reconstructing something that they're not even sure was a murder just to see what's up. Um, like, uh, murders in the Bones universe happen one at a time. Mm. Like, uh, sorry, it's like, like there's a mob hit that's like scheduled for next week to wait for the Jeffersonian crew to solve yeah. this one. W one murder per week only. No, no concurrent murders in the Bones universe. No. Um. So, so Angela has like pieced a bunch of shit together on a on a little like 
I don't know, they've they've reconstructed the, the skull and then reconstructed the face on it top. It looks like oatmeal. Wild it's speculation. <laughs> it is absolutely wild speculation. <laughs> this, and, and this to me, um, Alice, is like absolutely as much a pseudoscience as the handwriting stuff or the oh, maker's signature. It the is the best part is... Even knowing, like, knowing both ends of this, right, He the bust that they make still doesn't look like the actor playing Santa Claus <laughs> when they had every possible opportunity to have Angela just nail it. It, it looks like, I don't know, a dude with, like, four different kinds of gout made out of oatmeal. Yeah, Bones, it's a one-take show. They do one draft of the face, and they glance at a picture, they just sort of throw it together, and then they turn to the audience, and they're like, the fuck else are you going to watch? Streaming's not going to be around for a few years. The line, the line is, when they unveil this fucked up oatmeal golem, is, here he is, the guy who bombed Christmas. (laughs) Uh, no. The ultimate Grinch. The ISIS Grinch. <laughs> so, so now I know what you're thinking. Hey, this is all very scintillating. But uh, what if we had a D plot as well? Christ! Now it's yeah. time for for Cam's adopted kid or whatever who wants to go to Hawaii for Christmas. Um, Cam is like, sure, uh, but then makes sad face when she leaves. Um, it's very clear at this point that all of the stragglers will be spending Christmas together. And it will be heartwarming to us, regular people watching this show. How on earth does a show with four plots contain nothing? Just mm-hmm. at no point could I tell you what was going on. I couldn't tell you who the characters are supposed to be. I don't really know what the crime has been. All I know is that they're all Bombing feeling... Christmas. They're all feeling vaguely uneasy about Christmas. Which, again, it's sort of accidental realism, isn't it? We're mm. like, there isn't this tidy story, just a general feeling of malaise. Uh, <laughs> Guest sort- written by Harold Pinter. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. There is where there, yeah, there is no, there isn't much of a plot. There is nothing really is happening. No one's sure why they're doing anything. It's just sort of everything is driven by just, well, this general feeling like we ought to be doing something. I feel I, I kind of want to go to El Salvador, but my weird sister wants me to doesn't really want me to spend Christmas with her, but I'm going to anyway. I've stripped my colleague naked just so I can see his um his his lack belt of buckle. chest hair. Yeah, yeah, so smooth, just, and we are, we are sure that that's like normal too. <laughs> Rare body reason. positivity from the show Bones. Yeah, they also um they they have to have like a thing that is will never cease to be uh, very puzzling to me is that they need to make a point of saying like two or three separate times in that scene that like David Boreanaz is attractive. He is an attractive adult man. <laughs> this is adult, not adult weird. human man. Yeah. No, nothing about this is uh, strange or remarkable in any way. Hmm. David, David so, Boreanaz, adult human male. <laughs> so back in the lab, uh, they're missing some bones. Uh, they think they might be stuck in the cab driver in the form of bony shrapnel. Now, this this was really puzzling to me, right? Yeah. So, so Hodgson says, until we find the rest of the manubrium, it's going to be pretty tough Not to figure out bone. specifics. 
Not, yeah. a, not a real bone. You and made that at, up for this show. And also, at that point, that's when I knew it was going to be like, ah, they're going to piss around until they find this, and then everything's going to slot into place in also, a way that hasn't been hinted at at all. Yeah. It's just going to be some new thing they invent for the last five or six minutes of the episode that is the crime. They do get, like, photos. That, um, Kim says they pre-op photos of the cab driver, which, uh, little much. Um, but where he's just like... He, he looks like the I don't have enough money for chicken nuggets vibe, uh, Vine. He, he's um, just kind of like... It's like a sad man covered in stage blood with both of his hands up to the camera. As Cam says, the manubrium doesn't just get up and walk away. Unless... The bomber's own bones became shrapnel. Now, what puzzles me about this, right, is that um, the manubrium is the center part of the sternum. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's the little bit in the middle that holds all of it together. And apparently, we can, like, take a disintegrated Santa and all these little little bits of like skull fragments and stuff and stick them together on the outside of like a mannequin and then we can stick a bunch of his leftover bits of flesh on top and some plasticine and stuff and come away with like a reconstruction of this guy's face that can be put out to the media and used to identify the actual person who got blown up. What we can't do is get any specifics about this guy's body without this chunk from the middle of the stone. That's right. That's science, is what that is. Yeah, it's that they say that that bone contains all of the stuff about you. (laughs) Well, when when Hodgins says it's going to be tough to figure out the specifics, that is wonderful foreshadowing because it turns out that what they get from it is extremely specific. So we now travel to the second of the two venues that exist in the Bones universe of Washington, D.C., Founding Fathers. I bet all these motherfuckers love watching Hamilton. Hmm, that's so true. They've I, all got I, I something did not to look catch, forward to. I did not catch the name of the bar, so I have it in my notes as Paddy O'Doulahan Hanrahan's. <laughs> that's also right. <laughs> also accurate. So, um, Booth, uh, he's on the phone, and he says to Bones... Somebody saw Angela's sketch on TV. Because this is the other thing that's noteworthy, is that she did the whole reconstruction out of, like, clay. And then she's like, hand me my sketch pad. I'm going to draw the thing that <laughs> more, I've just made. We are going to do more abstractions. <laughs> yes. He says, uh, somebody saw Angela's sketch on the TV and says it looks like her son. Name of Holden Chevalier. I wrote this down too. That's so cool. <laughs> just an awesome name. It's the name of a 70s muscle car. Yeah, I, I drive a Holden Chevalier with the, like, GTO. <laughs> it's like, I, didn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't see or hear that, but now I can't stop seeing it. <laughs> uh, and he says, get this, our bomber was an exterminator. Uh, so that's pretty cool. They interview his mother. They let her talk... Now, this, this also runs counter to the character of, of Booth that we've seen develop, because normally, when he's talking to somebody who knew uh, the deceased, the first thing he says is, your friend is dead! Did you kill them? <laughs> did, did you kill him? But, like, yeah. no, both he and Bones, Bones who, like, previously, this episode, was just kind of like, you're covered in human remains, are both quite sensitive to this, uh, like, sad lady. 
it's almost like it completely depends on the scene they're doing at the time. Yeah. Uh, because they, they let her continue to go on and on and on and on and on. Uh, Booth says, we believe that your son was involved in a robbery. Uh, we get some classic Bonesism here when the mother says, of course not. Holden wouldn't hurt a fly. And Bones says, well, he's an exterminator. By definition, he hurts flies. Yes, oh, by right. the way, your son is dead. <laughs> your son is dead and you're wrong about him. We also get the like the first hint of uh the like the big roller coaster dip that is coming up for, you know, America and TV and everything like that, where we see once again the specter of the economic mess. Um, I hate the economic mess. Because Booth right. asks her, did did he have any financial problems? And sad lady says, everybody has financial problems. Uh Okay, fine. N- normal thing. Everybody has financial problems. Uh, a dude is like just broadcasting big time cool communism over the airwaves. Uh, I'm glad none of this will ever like have any consequences. Well, it's yeah. the, the writers that like Hart Hansen and his merry band of TV writers w- are just unable to put all of this together into anything but like a motivation for a crime occasionally. Like they're never able, they're never able to like actually. It's all Do you just think there's their... an Occupy Wall Street episode of Bones? There has to there be. There must right? be. Yeah, there has to be for sure. But like, I, I think bet Bones is... would have some really cool stuff to say about that. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> uh, some definition of what an occupation is. Uh, it's um, often used to refer to somebody's employment. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we return to the lab. They're looking at the the pictures of the exploded cab driver. He's full of bone fragments and everything. And Hodgson says, uh, we need Angela to recreate the explosion. My first thought was, cool, that'll be legit. Uh, <laughs> time, time to get out uh, Angela's copy of 3D Studio Max and get to work. Yes. Yes, I was so into. She, like, models all of this stuff complete with a little cocky belt buckle on Booth, who is, like, just an otherwise featureless model, like, T-posing to establish dominance. Yep. Um, good news though, they found the manubrium and very luckily and coincidentally, uh, it literally has identifiable markings of the bomb mechanism on it. Oh, that's lucky. That's, that's, and it's also lucky that it happened at about sort of 35 minutes into the show. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Hodgson says, I think we got our initiator. The bomb maker used the base of a small light bulb, battery on one end, explosives on the other. And you can literally see all these things burned into this piece of chest it's a good thing right they were looking the for that one yeah yeah back over to bones's house uh better deal with some of the stupid christmas bullshit the cousin is there uh again played by zoe deschanel they have given her now i i did have this note here they have given her nothing to work with right she is like her entire character is deadpanning benjamin franklin quotes and she is still much more entertaining than emily deschanel <laughs> yes <laughs> Zoe Deschanel is a better actor, is the problem. Yeah, yeah. She's clearly, like, a a much more charismatic person. And I don't know if anybody else kind of had this thought. I've made a note here that I wanted to ask ask the group. Does anyone else feel from watching this like maybe they've gone out of their way to make... In an attempt to make Emily look more attractive than Zoe? 
Yeah, they kind of do the like frumpy outfit thing. Yeah, she's um, she's she's like wearing an overcoat the whole time. Her hair's kind of half over her face, very sort of flat makeup. Meanwhile, mm. um, you know, Emily's Bones got a whole is wearing like a fully like push up uh, like blouse the whole time. It's yeah, yeah. she's got got an updo. She's <laughs> She's like big, big face of makeup and everything, and I was like, my 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 like... unattractive sister Zoe Deschanel. Yes, yes. Um, she's got to be on my show. It's my time to shine. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, you did say before, uh, Riley, that or Alice, that um, that there that the politics of this episode very interesting oh, and also we're getting to my favorite scene yes i well i i hope so the guy from the radio communist radio man has arrived at the fbi and is asking to be put in touch with the mother of the bomber because you know he feels that um he, he's obviously feeling some responsibility for broadcasting on a frequency which set off this bomb vest uh, he says to, to booth hey i was army man just like you I serve my country. Like, Booth's big shadow box full of cool army stuff. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and Booth says, you don't even remember what this country stands for. Booth, this is the most animated and the most angry I've seen this character. Uh, yeah. Bo- Booth did not serve in Hadithas. I have to listen to mild social democracy. That's right. Uh <laughs> Radio guy says, well, maybe it's you who forgot. Freedom of speech. I have the right to be heard. And Booth uh, The says, most cop response. Yeah, legally. <laughs> legally. <laughs> maybe yeah. you should yeah. think about... <laughs> uh, technically, I may not have been allowed to pull your radio aerial off your house. <laughs> this right. thing that I just did because I felt like it and made up a bunch of justifications. But I don't agree with you, so your free speech is not important to me. Yeah, well, also, like, the, 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 other, the other thing of, like, um, the other thing of just, like, it's... I mean, I'll, I'll save this for maybe his monologue towards the end, but, like, the, the whole oh, thing of, so like, yeah, bad. it's th- it's that if this guy hadn't felt the need to speak out about something, then this other guy wouldn't be dead. And it's just, like, yeah. that, that, if that is a take-home message here where the fact is... It's almost like it's almost like something that could have been written by the Elizabeth Warren campaign about like Chapo Trap House. Right? Yeah, like- you, you literally killed a man with your descent. Mm. Yeah, um, it's like oh, you are killing people with like, your descent. Oh, you think it's cool to podcast? Yeah. Well, what about if your podcast core was detonating a bomb vest? <laughs> so, so I this guy Snyder, if that happened, but like what? Yeah, this guy says, uh, hey, it wasn't my fault. And Booth says, you spew that poison out in the airwaves. This happened. You know it. As if to say... The the things that we've heard, the poison that we've heard, are just this guy going, America is bad. Capitalism, it's not so good. The other thing is, like, and Bones acknowledges that he's right. (laughs) About the lobby. About the... I mean, she... Again, she's acknowledges that he's right in a very limited way but again like but the 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 the, it seems like the the politics of this is another just peek into the politics of the late 2000s right these Hmm. sort of 
uh, this sort of understanding that things are teetering, that there is an economic mess. <laughs> yes, and, that's what this feels like. This feels like the top of the roller coaster. Yeah, and absolutely. It's, it's why it's so weird that you get this heightened contradiction of this like fun FBI agent suddenly acting like an actual FBI agent. It's it's and this. I mean, look, I. This is why we talk about bones because it's season five specifically because it's as you said, Alice. It's that's the hit on that's hitting it on the head. This is the pinnacle of the roller coaster. This is <laughs> this is the happiest that Hart Hansen was ever going to be. <laughs> what what messes with me about this is that like watching this makes me feel like I'm watching something from before nine eleven. Yes, there's the same kind of like inflection point. There's another one of these also. It's later than this, but like there's one of these for the 2010s, which is the difference between uh, something like Zero Dark Thirty and something like Twelve Strong, which is the kind that assumes a sort of competent, uh, subtle, uh, like foreign policy, uh, like uh, secret killings blob that anticipates like a, a Hillary Clinton administration, and then the kind that's just like, oh no, we're not doing that. We're just doing fascism now. Um, so it feels like every like five to ten years you get one of these inflection points, and Bones season four is absolutely at five. This. Five season five. <laughs> season well, four. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's an inflection point. I don't know. I don't care to know. Who cares? Yeah, we'll never be finding out. Like, um, yeah, because it it makes me think of uh, you know, post post invasion of Iraq, post um invasion of Afghanistan. Um, post like Bush's inauguration where they had their free speech zones that they would mm. put people into, you know, oh, you can, yes, you can speak out against the president during his inauguration. You yeah, can just do legally. it six blocks away in a cage. Legally, you can do it, but we don't have to be happy about it. And like, this is, this is like six or seven years after a lot of that. Like, uh, and, and still this guy's like, what the fuck do you mean you don't love capitalism? <laughs> it's it's very strange so it, um it, in 2010 right like i think it's there was just beginning to kind of be now there's been uh agitating against capitalism since you know the spinning jenny was completed um the first one but like it hadn't become kind of a mass cultural thing uh and as much as it did sort of i think this what, where, what's happening here right if we like our periodizations is that like the creators of mass culture are vaguely aware that something is kind of about to happen mm. and it's the economic mess yeah, the economic yes. mess and they're sort of working through their own uneasiness but they don't know why it's a lot like this episode everyone's kind of working through stuff and moving in some direction but they don't really know why and there is just this sense there's this sense that things are getting weird and heightened. Yeah. And that's why I think that's, I mean, that also, and just the showrunners ran out of ideas. But the, like, the goof on your contradictions. <laughs> and, and this, and the psychology of it is just sort of tense and strange, but with this real, really stretched normalcy. And mm. then in 2016, they kind of all got their very simple answer to why this was. And you got things where it was much more relaxedly and overtly political, as opposed to straining to understand the vague return of politics into like day to day life. I think one other thing that's very illustrative throughout this season is they do make references to the economic mess. 
and things things not being great right now economically and everything like that there are a lot of references to it and a complete and utter absence of any attempt to like explain or contextualize that there's never like and why did that happen again Mm. A lot of, a lot of, a uh, lot of mentions of the economic mess and yelling at the guy who doesn't love capitalism and nothing in between. <laughs> you know, it's, it's Hart Hansen. If when Hart Hansen looks into a mirror, he does not recognize himself. Mm. Yep. I'm so, so, I'm so um, excited to be at this symposium for the Institute of Advanced Season Five of Bone Study. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very specific field of study. Now, <laughs> sorry, that really got me. We got to push this crime along. So at the FBI, they have dragged in some old guy who used to do similar bombings. Um, I think it was something like that they that they found, um, you know, somebody had looked at a website that had instructions on making the same kind of bomb. And it was by this guy. They've pulled yeah, him in for an he interview. Was ru- he's running like bombs.edu. <laughs> and like people subscribe to his like... <laughs> Bomb recipes newsletter. Yeah, it's just like follow subscribe to my anarchy. bomb making Patreon. Yeah, yeah, and he just turns all of that shit over to the FBI. Of course, like his like membership list of like bombs.com. There's some yeah. very funny dialogue. Like the old bomb making guy says, um, "You're not listening. I've been out of the bombing game for years. <laughs> I, I would never too commercial now. I would never bomb my beloved home city of Boston." Yes. <laughs> oh, and also, uh, Booth does like threaten to blow up the oh, interview room. Yeah, like this is just another instance of just, <laughs> yeah. of just like a violation of the Geneva Convention <laughs> being con- per- perpetrated on some guy with a website. <laughs> hey, yep. this bomb was similar to bombs you used to make before you, but what yet you used to do when you were a criminal before you discharged your your conviction by serving time. I'm gonna blow you up. Yeah, he, yeah. like, threatens him with the bomb. It's wild. Uh, yeah, before before you went straight and into legitimate bomb making. Um, <laughs> like, do they know there's even been a murder committed yet? I mean, for all they know, the guy could have blown himself up. Why are they torturing this man? Well, well, lucky for you, they do a bit of fucking around. They talk to this guy about some stuff. They find and out they a few find more out. things. They identify some wire that is stuck in the dead, exploded Santa's. Oh, I wrote this down too. Used, and I underline this next word three times, exclusively in high-end bike locks. Yeah, you never been used anywhere else. This is like the last episode where um, there were like injuries on a guy who had been like stabbed with a circular piece of metal, and they go. Mm. And they go, hey, this is just like the pieces of metal tubes that are in the arcade game guy's workshop. And it's like, yes, you know how they make um, metal tube in diameters that are only used for one purpose on the entirety of the earth. Yeah, yeah. I- inventing a new form of steel and I'm and specifying in the uh, the sheet for it. This can only be used ever in high, high bike strength locks. bike locks. Yeah. If this is a cheap 30 pound bike lock, fuck off. <laughs> so so to Gucci to bike locks the, only. To give you the explanation here of how quickly they arrive at this conclusion, Hodgson says the wire in his rib was triple heat treated boron manganese steel booth says is that what they use to wire the tubes of the explosives together and he says no 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 it's a patented form of steel used exclusively in high-end bike locks wasn't part of the bomb he says with certainty somehow um bone says it's what locked holden chevalier 
into the bomb. Someone locked him into the vest, dressed him like Santa, and forced him to rob the bank. Well, they uh, figured out that it was a murder after only, what, like, weeks of investigation, neglecting other things, uh, two instances of police brutality, and maybe a war crime? Arguing about when Christmas is in the calendar. Yeah. We figured it so, out. Um, so, uh, Booth is like, oh, so he's a patsy. Um, he answered a service call, and they nabbed him. Uh, made him rob a bank. He says, this is not good. Thank you, Booth. Um... Whoever strapped Holden into the bomb didn't get what they wanted. What if they try again? But that's the kind of crime that Bones isn't involved with. She's not involved yeah. with living people who might be dead at some point. That's we the are other now. Thing, right? I, I actually wrote down this means that the Bones gang is going to find out who it is seconds before they, they attack again. But then I realized no, this is Bones. They don't foreshadow. Yeah, that's dangerously good writing. <laughs> well, we are now over three quarters of the way through the episode, and we finally have a crime to solve and or prevent. Must be time for another dose of wild speculation. <laughs> Hodgins is reconstructing the bomb vest and he gets some dark shit on his fingers. Uh, this reminds Cam of some dark shit that was on the fingers of, of uh, the gooped girl from the beginning of the episode. And they clipped her fingernails for evidence. Uh, Hodgins goes and gets it out of the evidence, wipes it on a Q-tip and then licks it, stating with complete certainty, it is metallic and sweet. That is definitely antimony sulfide. Antimony also highly toxic. Um, <laughs> I ju just to say, I, 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 you know, I feel bad for Hodgins' family um, that he did this to himself. Um, they now they pull the girl in for an interview, and she violates the first rule of Bone's script writing. She gets asked if she did the crime, and she says no. Well, case closed. <laughs> that. That has never happened on an episode of Bones. <laughs> yeah. This is the first... This is... I, I'm serious here. This is the first episode in season five of Bones where they bring in the person who ultimately was responsible for the crime, or one of them, and then they ask him if they committed the crime, and they do not immediately admit it. This is episode 10, Ten right? Yes. 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 Every other person, as soon as it is even suggested to them that they may have done the crime, immediately says, I thought you'd never ask. I was hoping you'd never ask. So, um, so we get back to the lab. Uh, Angela is now simulating the explosion with a copy of The Sims. Um, they... <laughs> with the T-posing booth. Yeah. Um, they, they do some stupid shit where they, they go, hmm, there's a bunch of bone fragments stuck in the taxi driver. Um, except there's no way in my absolutely 100% accurate recreation of this that he could have got his hands up in time to protect his face and get all these bone fragments into his arms unless his arms were already across his face before the explosion happened. So, so basically they think that the cab driver and the girl did it. This leads to the line of the show that made me... Lose my shit. <laughs> Angela says, Wow, all those jokes I made out about Santa ruining Christmas, I suck. And Bones says, Well, at the time you made those jokes, you weren't aware that Holden was a patsy. And Angela says, 
You don't think that sometimes we forget that those bones out there are people? <laughs> yes. yes, Hart Hansen, engage in some introspection, but be too uh, inept to do so. Sometimes when we're all in the middle of sexually harassing each other and brushing off people's concern about all the blood and bones in their hair, we've we forgotten forget. our humanity. Yeah. Um, yeah, gaze not into the bones, lest you become bones yourself. Uh, now we shall are. We, several... sh- shall we interrogate this as a concept? No, no, absolutely <laughs> no, it just not. Moves straight on. Now we're several minutes from the end of the episode, which means we got to solve this crime. Can we be bothered doing another scene where we get this girl in to talk to her? No, uh, that would be Booth considered Bones, a rewrite. Booth and Bones are driving in the car and Booth says, with a single throwaway line, Georgia and the cab driver flipped on each other the second I got them into interrogation. Just yep. off, off screen. Yep. Yeah, off screen. The crime solve happens off screen. It's Amazing. beautiful. It, mwah, bellissima. This, this is why I got to the end of the episode and was like, wait a minute, did they just forget about the crime? No, they solved it. It was just, it was solved off screen. And it also means... Well, there's there's two things that it means, right? First thing is that there are no innocent bystanders in the world of Bones. Both of the people who happened to be near this guy were complicit. Mm. Well, every, every, everybody at the scene was either involved in or investigating the crime. Yes, yes. <laughs> and the other thing is, he says they met at a support group uh, for... People who were, like, impoverished by debt. Uh, It was a debt counselling seminar. A debt counselling seminar. And again, this, like, passes completely unremarked, but it's something, not by me, not by us, because this is another one of those details that make you realise, ah, there's there's going to be some politics after the point where this was made. Um, Because everybody's in... Yeah, in a huge amount of debt, willing to, like, kill and uh, to murder for, for the sake of this debt, and for some reason. Uh, probably not important. You know what is important? Bonesmas. That's right. <laughs> That's the other thing. Everyone's either in debt or a millionaire. Yeah. No, yeah, no exactly. there's nothing in between. Everyone's either in debt or independently wealthy. That does you seem boy, to be... what day is this? <laughs> Why? Tis Bonesmas Day! <laughs> There, there does seem to be a significant issue with um, all of the people who work at the Jeffersonian Medico Institute for Sexual Harassment, a lavishly funded institution, uh, solely populated by millionaires. Uh, they do seem to have a problem with identifying with anybody who is not like them. Um, however, Bones um, tapping into some deep reservoir of emotion that she apparently has now uh, is very sad that exploded santa's mother is burying him on christmas day and they decide that they're going to go to the funeral now uh cam is taking her shitty adopted daughter to the airport to go to hawaii but then she slams on the brake and is like no you're not going to hawaii there's no christmas without you i think this might be a d plot um, yeah immiserate your family um yep. th- that's a recurring theme of this episode through the plots is that like Everybody here just kind of accepts, oh, family is a thing that makes you miserable, but you have to do it anyway, because that's what family is all about. Yes. Um, Very weird. Uh, So, again, it makes you go, cool, you'll be spending Christmas at Bones' house, and now we come to the emotional core of the episode. That is that uh, Radio Guy is doing his final show. 
These are all while um, shots of Booth and Bones going to the funeral There's happen. like a non-union Regina Spectre equivalent montage. Yep. Uh, so Owen the radio guy has a speech. He says, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm going to read this whole thing out to you, if that's okay. Before you do, I will mm-hmm. point out, just remember, this guy, totally exonerated. His, his yep. radio broadcast... Nothing to do with the guy dying. Um, it was. It was something to do with the guy dying because no, it's like because point- it was the cab driver's radio. Well, no, it's that he didn't trigger it. It's that uh, the guy's broadcast is so close on the radio spectrum that he accidentally triggered it was by broadcasting clear? his show. Yeah, it's- I, I didn't think that was clear because the dude put like the cab driver put his hands up first, which I assume meant that he detonated it when Booth. Stop the guy. I think but, what, what they say is that he heard the click or whatever. Strange. Anyway, uh, either way, this guy basically blameless, and Booth is content to like give this guy fucking murder guilt because yeah, uh, Call, calling him completely responsible for this other man's yeah. death. He has not come back at any point to say, "Oh, by the way, you weren't responsible for his death." Uh, he basically said, "Because you had a radio show, you murdered a man." Um, and also... Signed, the failing New York Times. <laughs> also, the only other things that have happened throughout the episode have proven him correct. Like, mm-hmm. like the, the, the people who actually set this whole thing up to happen and are actually responsible for that guy's uh, death did it because they were so in debt from the economic mess caused by capitalism uh, that they resorted to doing this. Um, so... Having reflected on all of these things, all of these events, he has written a monologue for his final radio show, and here it is. A man died this week. By all accounts, he was a good man. Loved his mother, worked hard, shouldered his responsibilities. He was a man that any any of us would be proud to call friend. I killed him with this microphone. I killed him by going on these airwaves and sharing my rage with you. Spreading my rage. Now, you can say it wasn't my fault that it was a coincidence. I thought about that. Thought about it a lot. But the fact is... The fact is, if it weren't for me, he might still be alive. I don't think he... I think they were going to kill him. I think the yeah, bank robbers would have killed wearing, him. Wearing a suicide vest, yes. dude. I don't... Well, they forgot. The thing is, the writers of Bones forgot the plot to their own murder. Mm. Yep. Also, the thing is that the the, the sin here, right, is not um, doing uh, Marxism-Leninism, which, as we know, is an immortal science that has no moral component. But uh, rage is being angry about. It's doing tone. Yeah. Um, discourse not being civil enough. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, "I'm sorry for that, and I remembered something that I forgot over the last few years." That God is not only a God of anger and vengeance, that he died to redeem us all. And I intend to show that this good, simple man also did not die in vain. That he redeemed one angry, shouting man. So these are the last words I will ever broadcast, and I hope they're the words you remember best. Peace on earth. And I I assume he immediately uh, went and signed back up for the army and was sent to Afghanistan. Peace on earth, smash cut to the White House and the Capitol in Christmas. Wonderful. Delightful. <laughs> Ideology. <laughs> We're back to Bones' house for Christmas dinner. Everybody's there. They're all happy. Nobody gives a fuck about the murder. 
Bones does a bonesy toast and says, Christmas has its roots in the pagan festival of Saturnalia, which is traditionally celebrated by intoxication, naked singing. And that's it. That's what we learned. Uh, you know, if, if uh, like, you're not responsible for a murder, you should just be thankful for capitalism. Yeah, that's right. That's it. Thanks for joining us, everybody. And thank you, Alice. Oh, my pleasure. My bones grew three sizes today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks, oh, everybody. thanks very much. Of course, you can hear Alice on Trash Future. And, mm -hmm. um, we'll see you soon. Yeah, Merry Bonesmas. Merry Bonesmas to <laughs> Merry all. Merry Bonesmas. <laughs>